We've been speaking about whether a husband has to actually hear the particulars of a vow in order to annul it, or he can annul a generality, all the vows that you have made or that you're going to make in this certain time period. That was inconclusive, but we're going to follow that up with um, a related question. Can a deaf husband annul his wife's vows? Uh, the problem is, he cannot hear at all. So he is not even in potential, will, is not able to hear about the particulars of the vow. Um, not sure what we would say today when we have better means of communication with sign language or other, other ways. Um, but let's assume that he, can't, he, has to, he has to hear it and he can't hear it. If you say that a husband can annul the vow, even if you say that a husband can annul the vow without hearing the particulars. In other words, if uh, the previous question, if the husband has to hear this exact vow, what exactly did you say? Uh, and he has to hear that those details in order to nullify it, then there's not going to be a question that a deaf person will not be able to. But let's say we say that um, in the general case, a hearing husband can, uh, can annul vows generally without hearing the particulars. So is that only because he is someone who's capable of hearing in potential? That's why he can. But a deaf man who even in potential will not, would not be able to hear it, that then he cannot. Hainu de Rabbi Zera, and that would um, that would fit with Rabbi Zera's opinion uh, in a different matter. Rabbi Zera is applying this to the laws of meal offerings, uh, where there's a there's a maximum amount you can bring of flour. The maximum amount is sixty isaron. Um, uh, right, about 150 liters. Why? Because the biggest bowl that they had in the Bet HaMikdash could hold uh, 60 Isaron and still have room to put oil and mix it well. Um, if it's any more than 60 Isaron, then you have to split it into two bowls so that you can mix it properly. Okay, that's a general law. Now, uh, Rabbi Zera says, listen, even though Lecha Techila, you're supposed to mix it, the oil and the flour together for a meal offering, what if he didn't mix it, right? Is it okay if he just poured it in but did not mix it? Um, so Rabbi Zera says, yes, it's okay, as long as the bowl is big enough that you could mix it in potential, then it's okay that if you didn't mix it, it's it's fine. However, if the bowl was not big enough, the flour was too much, that even potentially you would not be able to mix it, then it is a problem because you didn't mix it, even with the Avad, it's no good. So the Bizera here gives us the general principle that um, as long as in potential you can do something, it, so it's valid, even if you don't actually do it, because potentially you could have done it. Um, whereas if there's no potential you could not have done, there's no possibility of doing it, and then with the Avad, it's no good because uh, that you didn't do it. And so we're applying the same thing here, even though a hearing husband does not have to hear the particular vow in order to annul it, because he can hear it in potential. He has the ability to hear it. Since he has the ability to hear it, he doesn't actually, actually have to hear it. Um, but a deaf man 
who cannot even in potential hear it, he would not be able to annul his wife's vows. Okay, all that is side number one, that a deaf husband will, cannot annul his wife's vow. Or do we say, it says the husband has to hear it, but maybe that is not essential. It's good if the husband hears it, so he knows exactly what he's annulling. Um, but if he wants to say in a, something in a general way, or even if he can't hear at all, but he just, he has, he decides, I don't want this vow, whatever it is, that's fine. And it's not, it's not uh, essential. It's not required that he hear it. And even the deaf man can null a vow. That's the question. Rava says, I have an answer. Because the Pasuk says that the husband has to hear Shama Isha means Ish Shela. Her husband hears it. We learn that that means Davka. That teaches, yes, he has to actually hear it. Um, and that excludes, or at least he has to, in potential, be able to hear it. Right? We're not answering the prior question right now about whether he actually has to hear the particular or not. But the point is that the Shema Isha comes to ex those extra words. Why do you have to say that? Is coming to exclude a deaf person who, even in potential, cannot hear it. Shema Amina, and that's the answer. Um, it would not it would be a problem. Okay. Next, last question on this Mishnah. The man is married to two women, and both of them make vows, and he hears them uh, on the same day. Can he nullify both of them simultaneously, right? In one shot, he said, both of your vows are nullified, or does he have to deal with each one separately? Uh, that's the question. The word otaha in this pasuk, uh, it says, If the husband, on the day that he hears of a vow, um, her husband restrains her. So it says, He re re restrains or prevents the vow. And it says, Of her, uh, of uh, her, her vow. So it says, That is in singular. So do we, do we take that? Uh, to refer to one wife, and so he has to do each one separately, or lavdafka, or the 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 language is not precise. It's just usually it's um, uh, of uh, of of her her vow, uh, but because usually one, but really he could do both together at once. That's the question. Amar uh, Ravina. So we're going to learn by analogy to sota. We have a similar law. And uh, we learn that um, a man who's married to two wives and he suspects both of them of adultery. And so he brings sota charges upon both of them. We do not give both of them to drink at one in one ceremony because part of the the goal of the sota ritual is to scare her enough that she would admit uh, if she if in fact she was guilty the problem is if there's two together since uh, co-wives are generally jealous of each of each other and so one of them is not going to want to admit I was an adulterer and watch the other one get off, uh, you know, be uh, uh, be all good and proper. And uh, she's the only bad one. So she would rather 
you know, she, she would rather drink the sota water, uh, consequences come what may, uh, rather than give uh, any, uh, um, any uh, embolden, emboldenedness to her uh, co-wife. Uh, in other words, each one is emboldened in the presence of the other to say, no, I'm not going to let myself be degraded in front of the other, so I will not admit. So therefore, we do the sota uh, um, rituals separately. Biuda agrees with the law that you cannot have two sotot uh, uh, drink at the same time, but not because of this reasoning, but rather because of the pasuk as a gezerat katuv says vishka, right? That they he, he will make her drink. Um, and uh, that is singular, right? Her. And so that means her alone. Uh, she has to do it alone, uh, separately, not simultaneously. So just like we learned, hishka means precisely one person at a time. So to ota, uh, regarding a vow, means her vow and only her alone. So a uh, husband has to <clears throat> undo each vow, the vows of each wife separately. Okay, next Mishnah. Bogedet sheshata shenemasar chodesh. Vamana shedoshim yom. Rabbi Eliezer omer ho'ilu ba'ala chaya b'mzonotea yafer. Hachamim omerim en abal mefer ad shetikanes lirshutom. If you have an adult woman more than 12 and a half, and she has did kiddushin, and the expectation is that we'll give her a certain amount of time, 12 months, in order to get herself ready, um, so that she can marry. Um, so if she waited all those 12 months and the husband still did not uh, do the nisuin, or for an almana, if she's a widow, she needs less time to get herself ready, only 30 days. So they did kiddushin. 30 days later um, is the time for nisuin. And we expect the husband to go ahead with the nisuin uh, because nisuin is when his, obli- his financial obligation kicks in. He has to provide food, and clothing, and everything for her. So Rabbi Eliezer says, since the husband is from then at that point on required to give her sustenance, he also gets the um, responsibility and the um, possibility of annulling her vows. In other words, while she is only engaged, only adusa, either bogeret for those eleven, those less than 12 months, or amana, those 30 days. Um, the husband does not have to provide for her, and he also does not have a right alone to annul her vows um, uh, if, she's, uh, right, if, she's, if she's young. Well, this is, in neither cases would the father be involved, because either she's bogeret or amana, in either case the father's out of the picture. So in both these cases, the husband cannot annul her vows um, while she is in uh, while she is in arusa until he becomes responsible for her financially. Then that comes together with uh, annulling her vows. Right? Often that comes together. She may make a vow that has financial implications. So. If he's financial, financially responsible, then he has the right to annul the vows. That is the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. However, no, even after the husband is financially obligated, because the 12 months have passed or the 30 days have passed, nevertheless, making uh, annulling vows does not come under his jurisdiction until the actual nisuin. It's not connected to the financial obligation. It's only dependent on them actually being married and living together. All right, that's the two opinions in the Mishnah.
makes the following proposition, uh, hypothesis. It's going to be, we're going to see two rejections of it, but this is his opinion. He thinks that Rabbi Eliezer's opinion and the Mishnah Shona in the following Mishnah from Masechet Ketubot are both in agreement. They're both in agreement that once the 12 month um, uh, deadline happens and the husband is responsible, to pay, to, to feed his wife, to feed his bride. At that point, they're also considered fully married for other laws. Rabbi Eliezer, regarding the law, says it's true, regarding the, regarding the law of annulling vows, that he now has the right to annul her vows. And the Mishnah Shonah is going to be talking about that he, if he's a Kohen, he can have her eat Terumah. Okay, so they're talking about two different laws. Rabbi Eliezer about vows, the following Mishnah about eating Tirumah, but what they have in common is that even though both of these laws generally do not kick in, kick in until the Nisuin, nevertheless, once the 12 month happens, and, and although Nisuin did not happen, because he's financially responsible for her, these laws also kick in as if they were fully married. And in that sense, they agree with each other. And probably, even though they're talking about different uh, cases, they would agree with the other. Rabbi Eliezer would agree regarding Tedumah, and this Mishnah would agree with Rabbi Eliezer regarding vows. So let's see the Mishnah. We give a betula, if it's her first time being married, we give her 12 months to get herself ready by all the things that she will need for the wedding, for uh, building their new home. And, but once 12 months comes, then that's it. The deadline c- came and the husband now is responsible to feed her and uh, uh, he, she can eat his food and she can eat even teruma. Um, so that's the key here. She can eat teruma even though she's home. When, in general, on a Doraita level, um, she would be able to eat teruma even when she is only uh, engaged, Arusa. Uh, but the rabbis are afraid that if he's going to send teruma over to her while she's in her father's house, her brothers or parents are going to come say, oh, that looks good, and they're going to eat even though they are not kohanim. And they're not engaged to Kohanim, and so the rabbis worry about it. But once the 12 months comes, since he's paying for her food, he's going to send her food. He doesn't want everybody to, to eat his food, so he's going to designate a particular spot. Hey, come eat here, and then um, they will be careful not to sh- mix the food and share it with others. So that's the reasoning here. However, all this is only true for an arus. That's the that an arusa after twelve months. Yes, he, he can. He has to pay for her, and he can. She can eat teruma. But if it's a yavam, in other words, a guy died without children, and now the yavam has an obligation to marry. But that obligation, that zika, is not really is not really connected. Not really married, and so that's not sufficient to allow her to eat teruma. Okay, and this is true under any circumstance. For example, 12 months already passed. For example, let's say, there could be any breakdown. Let's say she was six months with her groom. We're talking about that they were, they were, she was Arusa to a man for six months. He died, well, without children. He doesn't have any children from a previous marriage or anything. So you still have to do Yibum, even though there was only Edusin. And so now she waited another six months while the Yavam is doing whatever he has to do. Even though 12 months have passed, 
Still, she cannot eat teruma. Even if 11 months and 29 days she was uh, engaged, Arusa, and her husband died, or she was engaged to her husband, to the first guy, for one day, and he died, and then she's with uh, the Yavam all the time after that. And now, doesn't matter, she does not eat teruma. That's the general rule. A Yavam does not provide, does not allow his Yavama to eat teruma. All that was the original teaching. However, Betin Shalacheri Acharehem Amru and Haisha Ochelet Petruma Af Aachetikanes Lachupa. However, Betin came after and made a new institution, and they said a woman cannot eat Teruma until the actual marriage. So you see that if you follow the new Betin, the new law, well then, um, that then you actually have to be married. You have to actually have Nisuin in order for the full marriage to kick in. And uh, so that would not be like our Mishnah, because our Mishnah says after the 12 month deadline, even before Nisuin, um, that's already the, it's as if there is Nisuin. So that's why we're comparing the Eliezer. To the or to the Mishnah Rishona, just like Rabbi Eliezer in, the Mish, in our Mishnah here says that after twelve months the husband can annul his wife's vows, the bride's vows. So too Mishnah Rishona says after twelve months she can eat teruma as if they're, they're, they are and they are fully married. And so you see, Rabbah is proposing that they would agree with each other. Good. Um, however, we can reject this in either direction. Now, maybe that Mishnadi Shona, that original law, was only lenient because it was talking about Tiruma, that is a Tiruma status, Midrabanan. Like nowadays, where Tiruma is only, you have to give Tiruma, but only, it's only Midrabanan. Um, and that's why, so we're lenient. Okay, you're not fully married, but in the 12 months past, all right, so we'll allow her to have the Rabbanan. That's why, well, that's why the Mishnah Rishona was lenient. But regarding Nidarim, which is Medeoraita, at all times, even after the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed, someone makes a vow that has Deoraita status, and the laws of annulling the vow, these are all Deoraita. So the Torah says only once they're fully married, then he can annul the vow, and uh, but not beforehand. So therefore, that our that that, that Mishnadi Shona in Masechet Ketubot would agree only that the after twelve months the husband can feed his bride um, uh, uh, Teruma, but would not agree with Rabbi Eliezer in the Mishnah that he can annul her vows. And so, no, there is no equivalence. And you can also, uh, you can also reject Rabbah from the, and the other way around. And maybe Rabbi Eliezer in our Mishnah here in Nedarim only thinks that for vows, yes, that's when 
the husband can annul the vows even before the Nisuin after the 12-month deadline because he will agree with what Rabbi Pinchas eventually says, which is that anyone, whenever a woman makes a vow, she does it um, having in mind that her husband will consent to it. So there, it's just dependent on the circumstances. And yeah, she's going to say, I'm going to make this vow. She has in mind, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming if my uh, if my my groom, husband-to-be, is going to annul it, then it won't work. So because she has that in mind, that's why even though it's Doraita, still it works. It's like a, it's, it's like a, a, a condition that's built in. However, Rabbi Eliez in our Mishnah may very well not agree with the Mishnah Dishona and Ketubot and say that Tirumah, even if Tirumah nowadays we're talking about Drabanan Tirumah, um, that if they're not fully married, then no, you cannot eat Tirumah. Um, uh, even even before the betin um, uh, stepped in, um, they would uh, they would not necessarily it would be Eliezer and our Mishnah uh, would be lenient regarding vows because that's dependent on her on her mindset, but not agree with Tiruma and therefore these are two ways of rejecting Rabbah's proposition. Baruch Adonai Amen